On this episode of Progressive Palaver, I discuss Asia's Aria, Arena, and Archiva One. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and I'm once again on my own for this episode of Progressive Palaver as we continue our extended look into the Asia catalog. This episode covering Aria, Arena, and Archiva One. So thank you for joining me again for this ongoing sort of special series of Progressive Palaver episodes where I try to consider the Asia catalog after Alpha, which, you know, as we discussed previously, wasn't really covered, or at least uh, anything past Alpha that was covered prior was, was maybe not given some of the time it deserves. And the more time I spend with certainly the Jeff Payne era Asia, the more I am convinced that it it is worthy of, you know, some extra time on its own and consideration of its own merits. And one of the things that I do, obviously, in this, and this is, you know, my thing, is looking sort of for uh, um a greater context of how these things fit into the continuum of a band. That's something that interests me greatly. And, you know, I, my, my feeling, and we'll see if it actually holds true or not, but my feeling at this point is that Jeff Payne era Asia is a completely different beast than Asia with John Wetton and Steve Howe and, and Carl Palmer. As we've already discussed, this particular episode will deal with Aria, Arena, and Archiva One. So part of the reason why that is, is three albums seems to be a, a pretty good number. The other part is I have not actually been able to get my hands on Archiva Two yet. I have a trip this weekend where I hope I'm going to be able to find that, but it's not certain if that's going to happen. And so hopefully the next episode will cover Archiva 2, Aura, which I can't wait to talk about, and then Silent Nation, which I'm also very excited to talk about, but perhaps for different reasons. The missing album, obviously, in the middle of that is an album called, ironically enough, Rare which seems to be virtually impossible to get my hands on. And so I don't hold great hopes that we are going to be able to consider that, which is kind of, you know, I, reading up on it on the internet, it would be interesting since it's composed of music, instrumental music that was composed by John Payne and Jeff Downs for a documentary on salmon and an unreleased video game, which I, you know, 
I find that interesting. Plus, given the fact that uh, what is it the the title track from the latter or Homeworld was originally meant for some sort of video game by Yes as well. So there are some interesting sort of you know connections through there, and I'm just always fascinated by these sort of rare instrumental albums by groups that I really really like. So I'm I'm hoping to get my hands on that, but I'm not going to hold my breath. So Aria was released in April of 1994, produced by Jeff Downs and John Payne, released in the U.S., at least on the label Bulletproof. The band lineup for this very much or very um, similar to Aqua. We have John Payne doing lead vocals, backing vocals, and bass guitar. We have Jeff Downs on keyboards. Al Petrelli continues on guitar, but now we have Michael Sturgis on drums. Track listing is Anytime, Are You Big Enough, Desire, Summer, Sad Situation, Don't Cut the Wire, Brother, Feels Like Love, Remembrance Day, Enough's Enough, Military Man, and Aria. Aria is the fifth studio album by British rock band Asia, released in April 1994 in the United Kingdom by Bulletproof Records, and in 1995 in the United States by Mayhem Recordings. So correct me on where Bulletproof actually was. Unlike its predecessor, which was recorded with the help of several guest musicians, Aria features a stable lineup considering consisting of vocalist and bassist John Payne, keyboard player Jeff Downs, guitarist Al Petrelli, and drummer Michael Sturgis. Arena was released in February 1996. Produced by John Payne and Jeff Downs, released on the label Bulletproof. The band lineup for Arena is Jeff Payne, Jeff Downs, Aziz Ibrahim, Elliot Randall, and Michael Sturgis. With guest um, musicians Hotai Tomiyasu and Louis Jardim. Track listing for Arena is Into the Arena, Arena, Heaven, Two Sides of the Moon, The Day Before the War, Never, Falling, Words, You Bring Me Down, Tell Me Why, Turn It Around, and Bella Nova. Arena is the sixth studio album by British rock band Asia, released in February 1996 by Bulletproof Records, recorded at Electric Palace Studios in London during 1995, it was produced by vocalist John Payne and keyboard player Jeff Downs. Then finally, Archiva One was released in September 1996. It was produced by Jeff Downs and John Payne, released on the label Resurgence. The band lineup, uh, since this covers a whole bunch of different periods, there's a, a long list. John Payne is vocals and bass guitar. Jeff Downs is keyboards and some drum programming. Al Petrelli, Anthony Glynn, Scott Gorham, Adrian Descent, and Steve Howe cover guitars. And we'll get to the Steve Howe portion at the end of this. Andrew Andy Nye does keyboards and some drum programming. Nigel Glockner and Michael Sturgis handle the drums. Track listing for Archiva One is Heart of Gold. Tears, Fight Against the Tide, We Fall Apart, The Mariner's Dream, Boys from Diamond City, ALO, Reality, I Can't Wait a Lifetime, Dusty Road, I Believe, and Ginger. 
Archiva is a two-volume collection of outtakes and previously unreleased tracks by British progressive rock band Asia. The Volume 1, designated as Archiva 1, was released on 3rd September 1996 by Resurgence. So that's what we have in front of us this evening. So one of the things that I found as I was as I was preparing for this episode, and, and it's kind of fascinating because I wanted to see if I could get a little bit more background information on, you know, some of the band coming and goings, you know, around this time, because there are, you know, minor or major, depending on how you look at it, personnel shifts between every album at this point. So while the albums, generally speaking, are recorded with a more or less stable lineup, that lineup is not the same from one album to the next, generally speaking. But what what I found was there is not a whole lot of information available on Asia, on the internet, in terms of solid information, historical information. Now, maybe it's out there, and, and maybe I'm just not very good at finding it. I'm not 100% certain. But the fact remains that I did not find it. But one of the things that I did find that was was helpful, or at least interesting, was there's a a website called popdose.com, and there are two sort of blog entries by a person by the name of D.W. Dunphy, and he has two parts, Assessing Asia, the John Payne years. Um, he had promised more, but it doesn't look like the others ever got written, which is kind of a bummer. But one of the things that he points out right from the get-go, when you talk about Aria, now, it is has to do with sort of the, the packaging. And he was talking about the the sort of minor label issue you know so what happens is I, I happen to have both the original as well as the special edition and the original edition you know the aria features a spectacular roger dean painting on the front and i, I made the comment i believe it was in one of the rush episodes that you almost get spoiled having so much outstanding Roger Dean artwork between Yes and Asia and Steve Howe and and whatever else that he does, um, ABWH, whatever you want to say. But I, I really can't emphasize enough how spectacular, for the most part, Roger Dean's artwork is. It is just... And, and I think the, the picture for Aria is really really exceptional even by roger's standards there's there's a lot of depth in here there's a little bit different thematically than than you're used to and i find that you know one of the things that i like about roger and he does this with he did this with with yes as well as as asia is he takes sort of the existing logo. So for Asia, we have sort of the, the pyramid, you know, arrangement and he sort of augments and, and changes the, the color and the texture of it a little bit while maintaining the fundamental structure. And I think that's fantastic. He does a, a, a really, really great job here. So the front cover is just 
you know, it really leaps out at you. It it gives you, you know, sort of a, a sense of security that this is, you know, the, the the type of album you're looking for. And then you turn it over on the back and, and you have this just really rinky dink kind of of typesetting that just it screams sort of low budget. And it's it's at complete odds with the graphic design of the front of the cover. Now, I am happy to say that the special edition, and I don't exactly know when this uh, this came out. It looks like it, it was released in 2005 by Inside Out Music, has a significantly upgraded back cover that is much more in line with the quality of the front. So there's that. We're very, very pleased with that. As I was preparing for this, you know, one of one of the first things that I sort of thought would be a theme here is the fact that Aria really continues what was started in Aqua. So if you think of Aqua, you know, essentially establishing the band with John Payne and in this case Al Petrelli, um, you know, as your as your band members. And whether you liked that or you didn't, whatever your experience with Aqua was, your experience with Aria was likely to be very similar. The, 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 the connection between the two is very obvious. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's much like virtually any other, you know, follow-up album that I can, I can think of. But when I was reading this D.W. Dunphy um, review, here's something interesting that he says that sort of goes along those lines. In terms of the songs themselves, I think Aqua had a few stronger compositions. Aria is purposefully trying not to overextend itself, and that occasionally leads to some weak lyrics, but as a start-to-finish experience, Aria rises head and shoulders above Aqua. There was little temptation to skip songs on Aria. Now, my initial inclination was not quite that strong i thought i thought aqua was stronger there are some parts on aqua that i really really like and of course as you all heard on the last episode the steve howe magic dust just sort of gets me going but the more time i spent with aria the more i kind of tend to agree with this summation of the album i think it's uh it's you know, the, the more time I spent with it, the more I really, really liked it. Now, it's interesting when you talk about Al Petrelli, for instance. Al Petrelli went to, although apparently he did not graduate from the Berkeley College of Music in, in Boston. Now, one of our Palaver members, Tom Corcoran, did in fact attend and graduate from Berkeley College of Music. So we do have sort of a, a connection there as well. But after leaving Berkeley, uh, you know, Al had done a lot of things. Most notably, though, he was Al Alice Cooper's guitarist and musical director from 1989 to 1991 before he went on to work with people such as Dee Snyder and Stephen Percy, ultimately winding up in Sabotage and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Megadeth. So, you know, we're we're dealing with, you know, Someone who has heavier roots, perhaps, than we were thinking of. 
or maybe than we were used to. And I just find that to be a little interesting. And also, Michael Sturgis, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of information, but Michael Sturgis has worked with one of the guitarists from Iron Maiden, Adrian Smith, in a band called Psycho Motel. And there, I think you're starting to get different influences here. And, but it, it actually kind of works. And I find that, you know, I think Al Petrelli is, is very judicious in how he plays on this album. And he has a few sort of rock star moments, but it's not overwhelming. And I find that on this album and on Arena, I really, really enjoy the contributions of Michael Sturgis. But again, overall, if, you know, I, th- I think this is, in a lot of ways, it's a more polished effort. It's a more even effort, as discussed in, in Dunphy's blog post. And so, like I said, if, if you liked Aqua and you like John Payne's Asia, chances are you're going to like this record. If you don't, I don't think there's much that we can do for you, unfortunately. The album opens up with the songs Anytime and Are You Big Enough, which... You know, I think there's there's good, solid work here, certainly from Al on guitar. And I think, you know, they're, they're good songs that continue what was started in Aqua. I don't know that they change my, my worldview in any way, shape, or form, but I certainly do enjoy them. Now, ironically, uh, Desire is the, the, the third track. And, and this was the song that, that really first started to sort of capture my attention. And... You know, it is. I, I've made mention of John Payne being dramatic in terms of his his vocal performance and his delivery, and sometimes his lyrics. And this song is as dramatic as they come, and I find that I love it. I <laughs> just, you know, it, it's because it's so unapologetic. It just puts it all out there, and I just find myself sucked in. Now, D.W. Dunphy has a slightly different uh, view of it. He likes it, but he, you know, I'll just read to you what he has to say here. He says, the centerpiece song, Desire, is a sexy song, and if you just recoiled a little bit at the notion alone, you can see how problematic the song can be. Throughout the band's totality, Asia's songs have been primarily about survival, surviving the unknown, surviving war, and surviving heartbreak. They were at their weakest when they addressed physical love. Such is the case with progressive rock or pseudo-progressive rock such as Asia is. We generalize it with long, flashy instrumental solos, undanceable tempos, and either super-cerebral or abstract topics. John Payne exhorting, Desire, make it physical, has the same incongruity as your dad dabbing to show you he's down with those millennials. Is Desire a bad song? I wouldn't go that far. Back in Town from Aqua was a bad song. This one simply seems a little misguided. I can kind of get where he's coming from there, certainly with the incongruity of it all. But again, 
I don't really care. I think Desire is fantastic, and I love to turn this up, and I love to give sort of over-the-top, show tuny vocal performances in my car while I'm listening to it at volume. So, very, very cool. Summer, sad situation. I mean, I, I, I. the more time I spent with this album, like I said, initially I wasn't really over impressed by any of them, but I find that I really enjoy all of these songs. It's always fun when a band can have a band, a song about summer that, you know, um, compare it to the track on then and now, which was abysmal. Let me see. That would be summer can't last too long was not good. This summer is much, much, much better. I like this one. So I'm on board there. Sad situation. Okay. Now, the second song that got my attention on this was Don't Cut the Wire, Brother. I really, really, the, the more I listen to the song, the more I really like it. It's one of the longer songs in the album. It's, it's only 520, which is short by prog standards. But it, it does have sort of the feeling of, you know, sort of exploring a couple of different things. Uh, in terms of musically and everything else. So very, very, um, very, very big fan of Don't Cut the Wire. And I think the, the message is also very powerful, which, you know, when, when John can sort of sync up his, his dramatic, bombastic delivery with a solid message, which doesn't always happen, but when he can, I think it, uh, you know, it, it can resonate very, very well. Feels Like Love, very, very anthemic. And then Remembrance Day. So here we've got here we got Al Petrelli opening the song with a super, you know, rock god guitar riff. And um, it's it's really, really, really solid. And then the the the, the chorus, you know, sort of I don't know. I, there's something about it that just kind of hooks me in. And then Enough's Enough has a a wonderful sort of slow build up into it, which I think is nice. I always appreciate when a song can sort of, you know, start out one place and, and ultimately build to another place. And Jeff gets a really, you know, good theme here. And, you know, it's interesting mentioning Jeff. Let's talk about this for a second, because Jeff Downs is you know, the guy with the pedigree at this point, he was in the buggles. He was in, yes, he was, you know, founder of, of Asia with, with Steve Howe and all the success that it went through. This guy's got the bona fides. And so while it seems clear that John Payne is a huge part of this, you know, from the outside, you want to sort of say that that jeff downs is the leader right because jeff downs is he's he's the common thread in all these asia things but jeff downs never sort of over asserts himself in terms of taking over the music so it, it's and it's not like he doesn't play you know i mean clearly he's he's a, a huge part of of these songs musically he co-wrote them but he doesn't he doesn't have the keyboards overwhelm the music. So here we are deep into the album before, you know, I finally have a note talking about, you know, Jeff kind of getting to go off, which is kind of funny. And then this song ends with a la 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 business that, 
you know, I just think is is maybe John Payne a little off focus, but not not terribly. The military man starts out with um, you know what sounds like a a classic, you know, early '80s style keyboard uh, riff. And I think it's funny that that Military Man features the the lyric Wheel of Fortune. I don't know if they were trying to purposefully speak to the game show or if that was just a happy accident. I'm not quite certain. But I just I find it very, very funny. And then the album closes with Aria, which is actually a, a very pretty song. And then in the middle of it, they sort of have this reprise of Desire in a, sort of a stripped-down version, which, given how I feel about that album, I think is just fantastic. So, again, if Jeff Payne Asia is your thing, you're going to be good here. If it's not, well, sorry, my friend. I don't know that there's much I can do for you. So that takes us to Arena. Now, in terms of artwork, Arena returns to our friend Rodney Matthews, who I believe did the artwork for Aqua. And let me just verify that quickly. Yes, Rodney Matthews did, in fact, do the sleeve illustration for Aqua. And when you look at Arena... It has, you know, sort of a similar feel to it. Now, the the problem that I have with this, and, you know, this, this album sort of suffers from the same issue. I, they use the Asia logo, and I understand why they do that. I just, I personally don't care for, for Rodney's work. I think it's, it's a little too much. And I think that the Asia, the Roger Dean Asia logo does not fit particularly well on here. And so, you know, from a visual standpoint, you almost have the, the inclination to ignore this album because the, the visual cues are a little bit off. However, that would be a tremendous mistake. And it's funny because I, when I thought about these, this series of albums, I, I had up until I started doing this, I did not own silent nation. I had aqua arena and aria and aura. I did not own silent nation. So I wasn't really sure of it. And I used to think that aura was my favorite favorite album in this series and the reason for that as we'll get into next episode has to do with the steve howe magic fairy dust there's there's a track on there steve actually plays on two tracks and we'll get into it but there's one in particular that when it came out and i found the record i just fell in love with that track and i never really thought much about arena and i wonder if it wasn't tied to the the album artwork which if that was the case 
bad on me and very, very unfortunate because I'm fairly certain at this point, this is my favorite album from this this series. I probably need to spend more time with Silent Nation. Um, it seems like there's a lot on Silent Nation to sort of recommend it, but just in terms of of what I think are really, really good songs and sort of, you know, excellent production and, and everything else, I, I really find myself drawn now to Arena, which is funny because I, I wasn't really um I wasn't really before. And so this is this is the fun of of the palaver because when you when you sit down with these albums and you try to think about them in you know a, a semi-critical way and again i'm never going to say that i do this in a, in a fully critical fashion because i'm just not equipped to do that but i do try to pay attention and i look for you know common themes and and arcs and things of that nature and and so you know i do sort of i end up listening to these records differently maybe than i would have prior and arena is is a perfect example of that and and so when we talk about that one of the things that i do want to point out here is that all of these albums are produced by john payne and jeff downs in in one order or another and they're all produced very very well so clearly these two guys know how to to record and and produce records in a way that that sounds you know professional it's very even and it's it's very very enjoyable to listen to so you know i think i i think that's something that i just did want to to point out explicitly now when you put in arena it's it's interesting so the first thing you get is into the arena and it sounds you you get you know you're expecting sort of one thing based on aqua and aria and and what you get coming out of your speakers certainly with into the arena and you get back sort of into more of what you would expect after the first track but this first track has a decidedly steely dan vibe to it and sort of that as as Ken describes Steely Dan, um, stoner rock jazz, <laughs> which, you know, but but clearly there's some sort of a jazz influence in there. And you've got some percussion going on. You have um, a, a killer um, solo guitar track by Hotai Tomiyasu, which is just off the charts. And Elliot Randall plays on this this track. He's credited with acoustic guitar, but ironically enough, Elliot Randall you know did some time with Steely Dan. And you know, one of the things about this record is you know the the Steely Dan sort of influence there seems to be a whole lot of different influences that show up sort of explicitly here, much more explicitly than you would have normally expect from or, or have seen from Asia. So you've got the, the Steely Dan influence. There are two instances that, in to my ear, are clear Pink Floyd influences. There's a, a small section where you get sort of the 
the Michael McDonald R&B crooner type gig going on. So there, there's there's a whole bunch of different things going on, and, and maybe it's these sorts of influences that ultimately make this more palatable palatable to me. I'm not 100% certain, but they're there. And Into the Arena very, very much um, sounds like that to me. Now, we need to point out that in addition to Elliot Randall, the other guitarist, and well, let's let's talk about Elliot Randall here for just a second because that's interesting, and then we'll get into Aziz Ibrahim. So Elliot Randall seems to be very, very interesting. He's worked with with a lot of of people and apparently he has he spent his entire career sort of avoiding permanent work <laughs> so he seems to favor he seemed to favor session work he turned down gigs um with Steely Dan he turned down a gig with John Belushi to be the musical director for the Blues Brothers. He turned down a position in Toto. So, you know, as a session player, he's worked with the Doobie Brothers, Carly Simon, Peter Wolf, Peter Frampton, um, you know, a couple different orchestras. He's worked with Steve Lillywhite, Eddie Kramer. I mean, he's he's kind of been all over the map, and he hasn't, you know, he has not, or he, you know, he seems to have sort of avoided becoming a permanent member of of any one particular band. Now, the other guitarist on this album is Aziz Ibrahim, and this becomes important from the palaver because among other things that he has done and he has worked in addition to asia he's worked with um, paul weller and stephen wilson but he apparently is the guitarist in the h band and that's h small h as in steve hogarth from marillion so there's a very very solid tie-in here with all of the things that uh the progressive palaver holds near and dear to our heart very very cool thought that was great getting back to the tracks then um after into the arena and arena which i love i love 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 the chorus in arena I mean, it's kind of goofy. Into the arena we climb, we look to the skies. Into the arena we climb, you and I. You know, it's like, okay, that's whatever. But it, it really, really works. Now, so that from there it moves into heaven. And the intro, this is really, really funny. The, the intro to heaven is the first of the Pink Floyd moments in this album. But it it's only in the intro. Once you get into the, the song itself, it's, you know, you're back to, to being Asia. So I find that to be kind of funny. And then you get to two sides of the moon. This song just slays me. The, the vocal hooks here, I find them to be off the charts. I like 
I like the vocal line and the verse. I love the chorus. There's um, he does this thing where he's he's singing about a, a Chinese girl, and he'll alternate between calling her Chinese and Chinese, which I just you know I I there's no reason why that should entertain me, but it does. And and again, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I I haven't really figured out what on earth the the lyrics are actually about. So if we look at them, laser breathing on my window, two strings beating out of time, Koto warning of the danger. Wake up! Is your head still mine? Now they give you reasons to fight for love. That's enough in a paper world. That's enough, said the Chinese girl. That's enough. Another city falls just because we're two sides of the moon. Data streaming through my window. Chrome stars whispering their lies. Black sky hides approaching stranger. Reach out. Two should now be one. So I, I, I honestly, I don't. I don't get it, but I love it. Absolutely. And so I've been listening to this in my car going back and forth. And there's this really, really cool thing that happens. I really need to listen to it in headphones at home to see how it translates. But in my car, I can tell you this. There is like when it goes into the guitar solo, there's this, you know, sort of secondary percussion line that comes in. And I swear it sounds like it's it's literally floating above everything else. It is the coolest freaking thing. And I, I get excited after the first time I heard it. I get excited every time it comes up now. And in fact, I will purposefully skip to this in my car just so I can hear that whole thing. And then somehow inexplicably, this whole song ends with a reggae outro, which just I have no idea where it came from, but it's... Um, it's you know whatever <laughs> it's great you know it, it when you hear reggae outro and you think of you know asia doing it 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 sounds like it should be a really really bad thing we spent a lot of time in the palaver talking about the questionable reggae breaks from rush but i you know and and maybe it's bad reggae i don't know i just there's there's very little on this album that i i'm not willing to accept so two sides of the moon, excellent. I really, really love it. And then we get to the magnum opus of this particular record, The Day Before the War. So this clock's in at nine minutes and nine seconds. You know, you know we're talking about the day before the war. So this has, and, and as was mentioned in, in the Dunphy's blog post, you know, Asia has a, has a love of writing songs about you know, surviving war or, or whatever the case may be. But war has figured into this a lot, whether it's from John Wetton or John Payne. But this song is probably John Payne at his at his best. This is for me, this is a a wonderful, you know, prog song. It does feature Pink Floyd int um, intro number two. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, 
It's so, so good. And it, it's weird, the things that this song makes me think of. And I don't know if it's the day before the war, um, you know, or the general feel or what it is. But um, Sinead O'Connor has a song, A Drink Before the War. I believe it's from her first album, The Lion and the Cobra, which is phenomenal. A very, very powerful and this makes me sort of think of that for some reason. And there's a there's a keyboard part here at the end before the guitar solo, which is just freaking it's it's unstoppable. It's it's really, really powerful. Love it. So Day Before the War, very, very cool. Never features, you know, one of these typical Asia Jeff Downs intros. I mean, it's as Asia uh, uh, an intro to a song as you're going to find. And then this is where, you know, John gets into his Michael McDonald blues crooner vibe. And, you know, Jeff even supports that with a little bit of of sort of a uh, an organ type vibe. So that's that's kind of cool. Now, falling is interesting. Falling, and I made the comment earlier that I like Mike Sturgis's work on these two albums. But falling really, really illustrates sort of what I like about this. One of the things that sort of gets me going when I'm listening to music in terms of drumming is really nice, crisp, and easily heard hi-hat work. And you get that here. I mean, Mike does really good work sort of throughout these two records, but but for me, this album, this particular song, Falling, is really where you, you sort of you get that. And it also has a really, really great um vocal hook. Now the interesting thing is there's a there's a drum fill here at the end of the song. Or I guess he plays it a couple different times through the song, but it it it's a drum fill that's almost exactly like the drum fill he plays in Two Sides of the Moon into the reggae bit. So every time I hear it, you know, I'm I'm expecting to hear the reggae bit, but of course it never comes here. So I just think that's that's kind of funny. Words reminds me of Rock and Roll Dream. You bring me down has sort of a weird intro but it's it's very very cool and then tell me why and turn it around um and and bellanova you know they're just they're they're totally in line with the rest of this album so you know i i i really do think and it makes sense when you think about it so while you've sort of changed out you know drummers and guitarists at this point this is now the, the third album where you have the john payne jeff Downs sort of core in terms of of writing together and so i think their there's their overall output the the songs on this are much more even across the board and this is a 63 64 minute album and it's still really really strong and in fact the version that i have has a bonus track that season which also is is very enjoyable so it's actually longer than that 
And but it's it doesn't seem like a long listen at all. And so I'm you know, I, I, I think this is it's it makes sense that they would continue to sort of grow and advance in terms of their their partnership. And I think honestly, like I said, Michael Sturgis, I think is is really, really good. In fact, I find myself listening more to the the drum parts on these two albums than I did with albums that had Carl Palmer on it, ironically enough. But I do think that Elliot Randall and Aziz Ibrahim really brought something to this particular record and kind of, you know, gave it a little oomph that maybe they didn't have before with Al. And that's not to, to take anything away from Al. I generally like, you know, what Al did, but I think I like Aziz and Elliot more. And in fact, I'm now thinking that I need to, um, you know, find some live recordings from the H band and explore a little bit more about Aziz. I think that'll be very, very cool. And, uh, so yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, arena while initially wasn't maybe at the top of my list, I have really, really come around on it. And I think it's a, a spectacular, spectacular listen and probably the highlights as a, as an album. Um, there are probably, you know, individual high points on other albums in this sequence that maybe are higher but honestly two sides of the moon in the day before the war you're going to be hard pressed to beat those two so you know this is this is a deceptively excellent album at least deceptively for me based on my prior experience with it so i'm very very pleased that i had the chance to get back in and spend a little bit more time with this and really discover some some really really good music that i very much enjoy so that then brings us into archiva one now the the story behind the archiva albums is i guess while they were recording the three previous albums those would be aqua aria and arena they had you know extra songs or, or things that they had put down, recorded, whatever, but they didn't make the albums for whatever reason. And they, they put them in a box and then there was a flood in their studio and they had to move some equipment and they found the box with the, with the tapes. And it's like, Hey, there's some good stuff here. So, I, I don't really want to go through every last little bit of this. This album, and I'll be curious to get my hands on Archiva too. I expect pretty much the same thing. But this album is is pretty much what you would expect it to be. You know, it's it's songs written by different people and performed by different people and recorded at different times and. So it, you know, it's 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 a compilation, and it's a compilation of things that didn't make it on to regular albums. So, you know, you're kind of limited, or your expectations are are sort of tempered, tempered to a certain degree. And you know, it it, it given that it's actually it's actually a very solid collection of songs, and some of the things that are perhaps a little, you know odd or off kilter can sort of be 
forgiven for the fact of of the nature of this. You know, while it's it's made of things that were deemed not good enough, if you will, for the main releases, it still is a very very enjoyable album. And you know, if if you're in the mood for for Little John Payne, this will work. Now, the other interesting thing, as I was preparing for this, and and I wasn't really aware of this. There are a couple of songs here um, written or produced by or with, where is his name? Andy Nye. And apparently, and this was, this was sort of, you know, my education that I was not aware of prior to being tapped to, to join Asia. Jeff Payne had been identified to be in ELO2. So I guess at some point, and I'm not, you know, really familiar with all of the story, I guess Jeff Lynn had said he didn't want to do ELO anymore, and, and one or more of the guys in ELO said, well, I still want to make some stuff. And there was, you know, the obligatory legal battle, and he could call it ELO2 or whatever the case may be. And so they were, they were putting together a band, and they were writing music. And Jeff Payne was going to be the singer and I think perhaps the guitarist on that. Now, it's interesting because I have a very soft spot in my heart for ELO, one of the first you know, records that I can remember loving was my brother's copy of ELO's Out of the Blue. It was, you know, absolutely spectacular. And then he got Discovery, and, you know, I have a general rule that if I'm listening to the radio and ELO comes on, I will not turn it off. And, in fact, I have tickets this summer to see Jeff Lynn's ELO. Very, very excited by that. But anyway, prior to joining Asia, Jeff Payne was working with this Andy Nye fellow to write songs for it. And you can hear that in a couple of the tracks, and, in fact, one of the tracks ALO, which stands for Asiatic Light Orchestra, is, you know, it was, it, you can tell that they were very specifically trying to write songs that sounded like Jeff Lynn's ELO. It is phenomenal. Absolutely a hoot. And the funny thing was, you know, I didn't, I didn't know this. I didn't know that, obviously, Jeff Payne was, um, was going to be in ELO part two and that he had written songs for it. And I didn't know any of this, but when I, I put this in and ALO came on, I'm like, wow, this sounds an awful lot like ELO. That's kind of strange. <laughs> well, there's a very, very good reason for that. So one of the things that shows up here is Max Bacon makes an appearance. He actually has a writing credit on one of the songs and that would be dusty road but looking at the the wikis there's a the second song on here called tears tears was written by downs and johnny warman in february 1988 and was one of the tracks recorded by the duo in the basement of advision studios in london from 1988 to 1989 it was first released on downs album vox humana with Max Bacon on lead vocals. So that's interesting. You know, I, I 
anytime you sort of start to have these these crossovers. So Max Bacon obviously was the singer in GTR, which was the band with you know Steve Howe and Steve Hackett. So now we're branching over into the Genesis family tree, and of course it was produced by Jeff Downs. So very very interesting that that Max Bacon should show up here a little bit, and then we fall apart was written by Downs and Payne in March of 1995. And it was recorded for inclusion on Arena, but was omitted because of its industrial feel. I don't know if I would call the song industrial, but it is a little bit different. And it, it sort of points in that direction. I mean, it's not full-on, you know, nine-inch nails or or something like that. But, yeah, I, I can see that that is kind of interesting. I Can't Wait a Lifetime is, it makes me think of Highlander for some reason. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what that's all about. The song Reality, uh, it sounds like it should be a TV theme song. It's it's really, you know, if you're talking about sort of a low point, and uh, this is, that's one of them. So this Dusty Road song, uh, Max Bacon apparently had written the lyrics. And there's another one on here that was... Okay, yeah, so Boys from Diamond City was another song composed by Downs and Warman in 1988 and recorded at AdVision Studios. It had initially Bacon and John Wetton on vocals, so that must be interesting. And then... The one last thing that we have here is Ginger. And as I was preparing for this, I noticed that Steve Howe was was list was credited with playing on this album. And I'm like, oh, what did Steve Howe play on? Steve Howe played on Ginger. And it's like, okay, let's listen to it. And yeah, that's Steve Howe. Very, very cool. Has some great sort of feel and ambiance to it. Very much enjoy it. But what is Ginger? So imagine my surprise when I went to the wikis, again, in preparation for this. And here's the following description of Ginger. Ginger, or I'm sorry, guitar-dominated instrumental Ginger evolved from Arena title track. When the group were working on the title track at Electric Palace Studios, Steve Howe proposed to send him a tape copy. By the time the group received the tape back from Howe, they had already completed another song with Elliot Randall, which was put on the album instead of Ginger. So, you know, I, I just think that's that's really, really very cool. Um, yeah, on any, any number of levels. The fact that, you know, again, Steve Howe seems to have this this fantastic ability with perhaps the exception of John Wetton in the, in the, the mid eighties, but he seems to have this ability to sort of create these relationships with people. And he, he wants to work with people and people want to work with him. And, you know, he wasn't, he was two albums removed from his contribution to Aqua. And yet he's still, you know, apparently he's friendly with Jeff and that makes sense. And he's like, you know, I'm sure Jeff was talking about stuff they're working on. And Steve said, hey, you know, send it along. That would be cool. And, you know, when you listen to this, it's 
it's decidedly different than what they wound up with, but I think they're both really, really cool and fantastic. So, you know, here's, here's a little bit again of your Steve Howe magic pixie dust, which is, is very, very cool. I love, you know, when Steve Howe shows up and I love that Steve Howe can sort of flit in and out. And when next episode, when we get into aura, we'll, we'll have, you know, some more Steve Howe magic, magic fairy dust. So that pretty much brings us to the end of this portion of the Asia discussion. And as I mentioned, next episode, we will hopefully be covering Archiva 2, Aura, and Silent Nation, which will cover, will, which will complete the John Payne era of Yes before we go back into the reemergence of the classic lineup. So that'll be kind of fun. And hopefully, I will be successful in obtaining a copy of Archiva 2. And who knows if I'm super duper lucky, maybe I'll find a copy of Rare. I doubt it. But there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed, um, you know, my thoughts and musings on the Asia catalog, and I look forward to continuing this. I would encourage all of you, if you have any additional information on this or anything else you'd like to talk about, reach out to us. We are available on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. You can email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. And Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for download and subscription on both iTunes and Google Play. And we are hosted on SoundClouds. So until next time, when we continue our Asia discussion, thanks for listening. <laughs>